0: The Broadway Hour. This is Stuart Klein. Stay tuned for an hour of live music and very live conversation all about the theater. With us tonight, Tony Award winner Donna McKechnie of A Chorus Line, who of late has been protesting in the streets... Tony nominees, Marin Mazie of Passion, Gary Beach of Beauty and the Beast, and Jane Adams of An Inspector Calls, playwright David Ives, the author of the hilarious comedy All on the Timing, Broadway singer Terry Burrell, who'll be singing live, plus our trivia contest with a chance for you to win some free theater tickets. Good evening and welcome to the Broadway Hour. Our program tonight comes on June 6th, 1944, the 50th anniversary of D-Day. You've heard a lot about D-Day in recent days, but allow me to offer a couple of D-Day footnotes that might be new to you. General Eisenhower said the worst part of the entire D-Day operation came on June 5th, 1944. That's when Ike, near midnight, watched the 101st Airborne take off after Ike had been told that the paratroop outfit was certain to suffer 80% casualties. The actual toll of the 6,800 unit troopers who jumped into Normandy that night, 1,400 were killed, more than one in every five. Two happier pre-D-Day footnotes. Just 16 days before D-Day, security officers were sent into a near panic by the crossword puzzle of the London Daily Telegraph. The puzzle, when solved, was chock full of invasion code words, including Overlord, Omaha, and Utah. Had the entire secret invasion plan leaked out, British intelligence investigated and found out that the puzzle had been devised by two old English biddies, retired schoolmistresses who didn't have a clue about D-Day. And three weeks before D-Day, King George VI boarded an American PT boat and inspected the invasion fleet. And en route, the boat's cook popped up and asked the king in a Brooklyn accent, Would your majesty like a cup of Jamoke The king accepted the invitation, drank two cups of Jumoke, and after the second told the cook, you make an excellent cup of coffee. And from then on, according to naval historians, whenever the crew complained about the food, the cook said, quote, if it was good enough for the king of England, it's good enough for you, (laughs) Skies. I hope I've been a little informative. Now let's get back to Broadway, and our first guest is... A Tony Award winner for her unforgettable performance, which she created, the role of Cassie in A Chorus Line. And last week, she was demonstrating in the streets. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Donna McKechnie. Thank
1: you. Yes, demonstrating what in the streets. Um, You know, it was very exciting to be together with uh, a lot of Broadway uh, dancers and choreographers and... uh, and to bring the awareness to the public, thank you for having me, uh, because a lot of the dancers that I know were not aware that choreographers in film do not get uh, the credit, do not get insurance, pension, like everybody else who's creating uh, work for us to uh, enjoy when we see film. So All that right. was our mission.
0: We'll get to the start of that. That's, we're, <laughs> we're getting a, the cart a little bit before the horse. First of all, Donna, let me say
2: what a delight it
0: <laughs> always is to see you. You and A Chorus Line gave me some of my greatest nights in the theater. So, Thank welcome you. aboard. Thanks. Now, let me set the stage. Last Wednesday, you were among a group of choreographers and dancers mm-hmm. who protested against, uh, in front of the Ziegfeld Theater against the movie That's Entertainment 3. Now, what was this protest about?
1: Well, um, using that film as a, as a focus, really, because it's not just about that film, it's all films, musical films, um, that have um, dance. There's someone who choreographs that dance, uh, and we just want to uh, help them support the contract so they can get their, their what's fair. Everybody else... Um, Creatively, that works in a film gets uh, the pension, gets the royalty, all the creative team, and uh, we want to make sure that uh, choreographers do also.
0: Do cor- did choreographers not get royalties uh, for the That's Entertainment they, Three and the two do. previous? Work? Not
1: only that, they they did not get any recognition on uh, on screen credit, and um, you know, when you have fantastic choreographers like Michael Kidd who. You know, you have twenty or twenty-five or thirty minutes in a film of, of his work. He deserves credit, especially credit, but even more than that, he deserves what everyone else gets, which is royalty. Mm-hmm. Um, choreo- but- we just, we're, I'm finding out uh, things as I go, and and I kind of assumed that these things were in order, but they're not. And so, um, because this is not the case with um, uh, theater choreographers, you know.
0: I was not aware of that. I me, thought me that either. choreographers would receive the same kind of royalties that a composer or lyricist or author would get from they're, a movie.
1: They're different royalties, but they do get their, 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 their fair shake, um, but not so in film or television. And uh, one fellow... Um, uh, Troy Garza stood up. Yes, who was a friend of mine from Chorus Line, right. one of the shows, one of the years I came back to do it in '87. He was the dance captain. He's been for the last five years, choreographing the sequences on Saturday Night Live, um, and he is the only one on the creative team that does not get any royalty or any uh, pension and wealth and welfare
0: insurance. Does this insurance. Uh, show a lack? in the quality of the lawyers representing choreographers rather than the choreographers themselves? Shouldn't they well, have that written that uh, you know, they the get The Society Royalties?
1: for Stage Directors and Choreographers is, is really trying to um, make an inroad in, in working with producers um, so that they can, you know, that they, they have to use choreographers and go by the contracts that they're trying to, to design. Because up till now, they haven't been, uh, igno- not all of them have been acknowledging these the, mm-hmm. the, the contracts. But what they, they do, they go to choreographers or dancers and they say, why don't you do it? You're not union, but uh, we'll pay you this much money. And because people are so desperate to work, I guess, um, they undercut their union members that way.
0: As it was pointed out to me, it's a bit ironic that the credits for the movie, That's Entertainment 3, mentions the name of the caterer, right. but not the name of the choreographer. Donna, is anything going to come from this action by you?
1: I think so, because I was thrilled to see the first time um, in it for a, something this important for dancers and choreographers of the future. For right now, to see that many of my friends um, together uniting in a cause like this, I thought was a, it was the first time I've seen it. I've been part of it, and... Uh, and it wasn't to, um, you know, make trouble, but it was really to bring uh, the awareness for all of us who were involved in theater. And I think if we do unite, because that was the feeling tone that we came away with, if we stay together on this and support it and make people, because you didn't know that either, and no. uh, you probably just assumed that, we can uh, we can make bring these changes about.
0: Did you get any response from the movie producers?
1: <laughs> um, I don't. Think so. I don't think yet. Okay. But again, we hope that it's that movie was just an example. That was really not the main focus. The main focus is for all film and all television shows who use uh, choreographers.
0: Well, let's hope. And Donna, in the meantime, what's happening with you personally? What are you up to? Well, these days? I'm doing.
1: A, I'm in a uh, involved in a very nice project um, uh, in my own theatrical evening um, called Inside the Music, and we're developing it now and. Chris Chadman, I, I think you might know him from uh, Guys and Dolls, right. who choreographed that terrific show. He's directing it, and Mark Hummel's doing wonderful arrangements, and we're just beginning.
0: Uh, is this going to be cabaret, theater? Well, what? it's
1: more theater than cabaret, but it's, it's a kind of a mixed bag.
0: Donna McKechnie back on Broadway, maybe. Huh? Maybe, soon. Okay, when's this uh, new act debut? Well, we're, d-
1: we're just starting. I, I'm going to be at the White Barn this summer. In Connecticut, That's in, okay, and uh, then uh, we'll we'll take it from there. I'll be in Colorado this summer doing it at the uh, Steamboat Springs uh, Theater Festival, and uh, we'll just uh, you know try to give it a life.
0: Well, let's hope it's always <laughs> a treat to have Donna McKechnie in New York. Nice to see Donna, you. I want to wish you all luck in the world with Thanks, the great. group action and your own personal endeavor. You're the best.
1: Thank you very much,
0: Donna McKechnie. Yeah. Everyone. Our next guest starred on Broadway in Dream and she's featured in the Lyrics and Lyricists series, Remembering Mitchell Parrish, Sunday and Monday at the 92nd Street Y. And singing live on the Broadway Hour, accompanied by Peter Howard, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Terry Burrell. Terry, it's yours. <laughs>
3: imagination is funny it makes a cloudy day sunny makes a bee think of honey just as i think of you imagination is crazy your whole perspective gets hazy has you asking a daisy what to do what to do have you ever felt a gentle touch and then a kiss and then and then find it's only Imagination is silly. You go around willingly. For example, I go around wanting you, and yet I can't imagine that you want me to. Have you ever felt a gentle touch and then a kiss and then and then find that it is only your imagination again? Oh well wow. imagination is silly you go around willingly for example Wanting you, and
2: yet
3: I can't imagine that you'd want me
2: to.
0: Yeah, nice, Terry Barrow. Thank you, Terry. We'll be back with Terry, and she'll sing again after this. We're back on the Broadway Hour on AM 93 WPAT. I'm Stuart Klein, and with me is the spiffy Terry Burrell. You're looking good, kid. Thank you. What's new in your career? Anything happening?
3: Well, I mean, I just finished doing the Johnny Burke review out at the George Street Playhouse with Peter Howard here that's on the piano. He arranged all the music for us. And we're going to do the lyrics and lyricists together, so we're really busy. And we're going to be developing the Johnny Burke show. It's called Swingin' on a Star, up at good speed, and hopefully it'll come to New York in September.
0: That's good music. What are you going to sing for us I'm now? I'm
3: going to sing something from the Mitchell Parish show that we're doing at Lyrics and Lyricists, and it's called "Evening."
0: Ms. Burrell, you're on. Thank you.
3: We were side by side in the evening, not so very long ago. Now I want to hide from the evening, but where, oh, where can I go? Evening, every night you come and you find me you always come and remind me that my man is gone hurry evening can't you see I'm deep in your power every minute seems like an hour since my man time that I miss his kiss most of all even though I try how can I go on take me evening let me sleep till great dawn is breaking I don't care if I don't awaken cause my man time that I miss his kiss most of all. Even though I try, how can I go on? Cause my man is gone
2: Gone Terry
0: Burrell Terry, thanks for joining us on the Broadway Hour. That was delightful. She'll be at the 92nd Street Y with the songs of Mitchell Parish next weekend. Mitchell Parrish of Stardust. And we'll be back with Tony nominee Marin Mazie of Passion after this. One more piece of business. The golden age of comedy has returned because Neil Simon is back on Broadway with Laughter on the 23rd Floor. Join the theater's funniest writer for a hilarious look behind the scenes at the early days of TV and discover the smash hit that Newsweek magazine calls, quote, one of Neil Simon's funniest plays ever. Laughter on the 23rd floor. The star Ledger calls it an instant comedy classic right up there with the Sunshine Boys and Plaza Suite and says they'd better get doctors in the lobby to take care of all the people laughing so much. The Daily News says laughter on the 23rd floor is howlingly funny. The Philadelphia Inquirer says screamingly funny. And all the TV critics agree on all three networks, Joel Siegel, ABC, Flat Out Hysteria, Gene Shallot, NBC, Uproarious, and Dennis Cunningham, CBS, splendidly howlingly funny. We will say nothing about the fourth TV network. They're all laughing for Neil Simon's Laughter on the 23rd Floor, directed by Jerry Zaks at the Richard Rogers Theater. Call Ticketmaster at 212-307-4100 for exact seat locations. That's 307-4100, because a whole lot of laughter is just a phone call away. This is the Broadway Hour here on 93 WPAT, brought to you by the Sheraton New York Hotel and Towers and 777 Film and 777 Food. Our next guest is a Tony nominee for her performance as Clara in the Stephen Sondheim musical Passion. Here is the beautiful and accomplished soprano, <laughs> Marin Maisie. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Broadway Hour. Thank
4: you. It's nice to be here.
0: Marin, in Passion, you make a rather spectacular entrance. (laughs) (laughs) When the curtain rises on that musical, Marin and Jerry Shea are stark naked in bed. yes, And they then sing a romantic duet.
4: Just how everyone does when they're in bed, you know. Now, Marin
0: uh, <laughs> when you sing at that rather exposed condition, <laughs> uh, how did you uh, feel about it the first time you did it?
4: Um, well, it's... It, the first time we did it, I mean, we 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 went through a long rehearsal process. So I mean, as far clothed, went through the rehearsal okay. process clothed. So we had a long time to sort of work up to the fact that we were going to be nude. So it's a it was a matter of kind of getting getting used to each other. I mean, Jerry and I didn't know each other, and so um, you yeah, know, it was sort of uh, actually then it became anticipated for the uh, nudity. I think <laughs> after a while, we were kind of going, well, this might be fun. So um, it it. The the first time was a little nerve wracking, I must say, on the stage and in front of everybody, and and but but now it's sort of you know eight times a week. It's just a part of the show, and it really, it really fits in with the with the piece. It's such I think uh, a really appropriate opening to the show, and it's 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 really beautifully done and very tasteful and all of that. So,
0: who ever thought that Stephen Sondheim <laughs> would recede to hair? <laughs> uh, well, That's in Given this nudity, uh, you're now comfortable with it. Right. Uh, I take it there's some Italian in your family with the name Mezzi.
2: Yes, my father is Italian.
0: Now, did your father and mother see the show? Yes, they did. And And what did they say? My
4: mother thought, they both loved the show. They loved the show. I mean, unmistakably loved it. Um it, it was more of when I told my father I was going to be nude that that was sort of the uh that he he's kind of scrunched down in his seat and was like <laughs> what nudity how nude well how naked are you going to be those so, those kind of questions and um they came for the opening but I had them see a show a couple of days before we opened cuz I wanted I, I I just wanted them to sort of <laughs> get easy, over it yes get get over the shock of it and uh they he did very well, I must say. He he, he even said it was beautiful and, and tasteful, and if that was what it had to be, then...
0: then that <laughs> reminds me of... Do you remember, what was the show uh, that was the first... Oh, oh, oh Calcutta. Oh, oh Calcutta, Calcutta, yes. It was the first nude show in the Right. World. And I remember when I said... I didn't think it was very good, uh, with or without clothes. It wasn't very <laughs> funny, and it was supposed to be a comedy. Anyhow, there was one poor young woman in the show was totally new, and in one scene, uh, a comic, I forget which one, did a monologue sitting in a rocking chair, and all during his monologue, this poor, naked girl (laughs) was kneeling on the stage, on her hands and knees, at the front of the stage, she didn't have a word uh, in the entire scene, she just knelt there, in this terrible uh, condition. Well, as I was watching the show, I wondered what this poor young actress was thinking about, and I decided to interview her and huh? tell her. And I was perfectly on a level. She was dressed in clothes when I interviewed her. And I asked her what she thought of while she was there, nude. And she said, well, I'm a professional actress, and I'm thinking of my next lines and my next scene, and I'm reacting to what he says. So uh, it was a pretty dull interview until (laughs) I asked her uh, where she was from. She said she was from Queens and she was Jewish. Uh And I said, did your parents? (laughs) She said, yes. I said, who are your parents? Well, her father works in the garment industry and her mother makes chicken soup. And I said, what did they say when they saw it? She said, her father said, I knew 15 years ago... When you told me you were going to college to study drama, it would come to this. <laughs> <laughs> and her mother uh, said, I'd prefer that you were in a show where you wore your clothes. Uh, but if it makes you happy.
4: <laughs> but I do get to put on beautiful clothes.
0: You sure do. Oh yes. And this is uh, the story of the show is incredibly subtle. And it works very well. And we're going to get back to
5: that after this. Great. She Loves Me. It's the biggest, brightest, happiest musical everyone is talking and cheering about.
1: She loves me. I loved it. It's big. It's lavish. I had no idea so many hit
0: songs came from this show. Oh, it was just
6: marvelous. I can't tell you enough. I'm going to see it again.
0: We loved it. We loved it. it. I loved it. you got to see the show. How could she when she doesn't
5: know it Frank Rich of the New York Times called She Loves Me an evening of sheer enchantment and and Clive Barnes of the New York Post said let me make one thing perfectly clear there is no more enchanting bewitching or beguiling musical on Broadway than She Loves Me Join in the fun, the romance, the joy of She Loves I Me. You won't just hum in the tunes, you'll sing out loud. She loves, she, loves she loves Me, me at the Brooks Atkinson at Theater. Call Ticketmaster 212 307 4100. She, she
2: Loves Me.
0: We're back with Marin Maisie of Passion. Uh, Marin has noted you were gorgeous, <laughs> and in Passion, your lover jilts you for a homely, sickly invalid. Yet uh, the story makes sense, despite this. Uh, despite that, this may sound cockeyed. Explain that how well, it makes I, sense. I
4: think what it is is, I mean, they're the 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 two women. What they represent. I mean, I I'm sort of the light. I mean, the beauty and and the darkness. Fosca is the the other character played by Donna Murphy, and. What it mostly deals with really is the different types of love. I mean the love that Giorgio and I are, are characters that we have is is more a physical I mean that's basically what you see in the beginning of the show you know two nude, hopefully good looking people you know enjoying this, enjoying this enjoying uh, this this romance and this sort of physical love making and um when he meets this this woman who this, the play takes place in 1863 and when he meets this woman who is is not very attractive and sick but who becomes who is in love with him and becomes sort of obsessed with him but it's about her love sort of cracking him open and uh, uh, their connection on just a totally different level and a more soulful uh, a more soulful level definitely and has nothing to do with the looks but but back I mean it's it certainly relates to today, I think because of of women, and I mean, that's always been a question with the women—the looks—and it's constant. With, mm-hmm. but especially back then in 1863, really, if you were a woman, that was really all you had because you didn't—you couldn't work. You didn't really go to school. You didn't. Hopefully, if you you were good looking, you could get a man and get married and have children. You know, that was about that was about the extent of it. So, uh-huh.
0: you'd think, uh, one paper, when you hear the story, that it's impossible that a guy would give up. This beautiful, lovely woman for a sickly, desperate, obsessed, sickly invalid. Right. Uh, yet, uh, when she throws well, herself she, at him,
4: it's basically—I mean, she does throw herself at him, and and he does is repelled by her. But they—they they are connected. I mean, their their minds are connected in in such a way. And also, I think at one point that she says to him. I would die for you. I mean, my, I love you so much that I am willing to give my life for you. And she says, would Clara do that? And I mean, he knows that that, no, and no one has ever loved him. As he says to her, no one has ever loved me with this, this kind of hmm. love. And you think of, if you think of, I mean, I think that everyone can relate to it and being in love at certain times in people's lives and that kind of love when you, when you are, when you find somebody and you can't, can't get them out of your mind, it's all you think about. It's what you kind of live for. And that's, that's kind of what it is.
0: Maren, what's it like working with Sondheim?
4: Oh, it's fabulous. This is I'm lucky. This is the fourth time I've worked with him, ah. and um, it's very exciting. It's, 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 it's a thrill, absolutely a thrill.
0: Maren, you are a Tony nominee. Yes. Uh, your competitors are Sally Mays, of She Loves Me, Marsha Lewis of Greece, and Audra Ann McDonald of Carousel. Mm-hmm. You going to win?
4: I don't know. It's stiff competition. <laughs> what do you think your chances Very are? stiff competition. I think, uh, I don't know. Who knows? Okay. <laughs> have
0: you prepared an acceptance speech? I
4: think all my life I've prepared <laughs> an acceptance speech. I just, I just have to plug in the people,
2: you know, <laughs> the
0: particular things. Okay. I want to wish you all the best. Uh, I went to see Passion last night again, and uh, I had a wonderful time. I'm it's, glad. A, it's a beautiful little piece of work. It's
4: a beautiful show. Yeah, I'm very proud of it.
0: Well, again, all the best to you, Thank and you we'll be much. looking forward to your appearance uh, Sunday night Thank at you. the big show. Thanks, Ladies and gentlemen, Marin Macy of Passion. Thank you. And we'll be back with another Tony nominee, Gary Beach of Beauty and the Beast, after this.
5: How do you find a detective movie when you don't have a clue?
2: Call 777-FILM!
5: Where do you find angel hair? On Church Street? Call 777-FOOD! How do you see a gangster movie without the mob? Call 777-FILM! How do you find oysters on Pearl Street? Call 777-FOOD! Your last movie was a mystery, but the ticket line was a crime. Next time, call 777-FILM and order your tickets right over the phone.
2: If you need to arrange dinner for
3: 6 at 7 on 8, call 777-FOOD to find the right
7: restaurant and make your reservation.
5: So if you want to take the drama out of finding a movie and the indigestion out of finding a restaurant, call 777-FILM. For tickets
4: and showtimes in no time.
2: Call 777-FOOD.
4: For dining out, delivery,
3: even reservations.
5: 777-FILM.
0: 777-FOOD. It's just a local call. 777-FOOD. Available only in Manhattan. It's just a local call from the 212 area code. We're back on the Broadway Hour. I'm Stuart Klein. And our next guest is a Tony nominee for his performance as Lumiere, a candelabra. In Beauty and the Beast, ladies and gentlemen, here's Gary Beach. Thank you, Stuart. Gary, welcome to the Broadway Hour. And first, describe your incredible costume.
8: Thank God, I thought you were going to ask to describe my nude scene, <laughs> which I must say goes over very large every night.
0: Well, frankly, Gary, I'm not interested in your nude <laughs> scene. <news. laughs>
8: Tell us about what you wear in Lumiere. I wear the most incredible costume I've ever seen, and Hold Ward, a costume designer, also nominated for a Tony went to work about two years ago designing these things. She uh, uh, worked with the director, Rob Roth, Jeffrey Katzenberg, a producer, and uh, they didn't know where they wanted this to go originally. Should should it look like the uh, animated version? Should it not? How could it? Well, they've gone in the direction that we've ended up, which is the most... Incredible looking costume, I, I have a metal base, I have my hands are on fire, and my head is a piece of wax, what can I tell you?
0: <laughs> now, flames come out of the end of your arms. That's right. That's a pretty tricky uh, business, I would imagine.
8: Well, I, at first, I don't mind telling you, I was a little nervous, mm. but uh, I was assured by our uh, producer, no, <laughs> I was insured by everyone, and in, in, insured, I guess, that uh, nothing would go wrong. Actually, it's very simple. And I, who uh, can just barely set the time on my uh, VCR, I can operate this myself, center stage, and so uh, it's not too bad,
0: really. Uh, Just to make it a little clearer, (laughs) at the end of uh, Gary's arms in this costume... Flames come out like a large cigarette lighter. Now, I imagine you must trigger them with a switch
8: you have somewhere inside. They're it. just two very big zippos. To, no, they're, <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're uh, along the line of a uh, same thing. It's like a big lighter, really. I turn on the switch flick an electric switch, and bam, there's flame.
0: Gary, during the course of the show, have you ever been scorched?
8: <laughs> Never. It's it's amazing. Not, not even when we were in out-of-town tryouts in Houston was there ever an accident. We have these huge swags. that hang, We call them swags. I don't know what the real name would what be. These they? curtains sort of right. thing that hang across. And I think that uh, when I saw those on the set, I thought, ooh, this could be dangerous. But... I was taken outside of the theater by the stage manager with a huge piece of material that they use, and he lit it, and nothing happened. It, it totally just disintegrated. So I thought, well, that's safe. It, it may cause a little, a little problem in the theater <laughs> if it ever happens, but it's very safe. Everything, is, everything I come into contact with, especially Babette the Feather Duster, is totally fireproof. <laughs> well, I want to uh,
0: say that that costume is one of the grand special effects in the show and i'm saying this not because you're here but i think uh, you steal the show you're the show's shining light forgive me in that marvelous song and dance number called what is it
8: welcome the only man in america who doesn't know the name of this song it's be our guest well i am
0: very old uh, Gary and
8: I forget things easily, but it is a marvelous song, isn't it? Isn't number, it? Uh, Alan Menken, Howard Ashman, uh, did the lyric and uh, the staging. Matt West, an incredible job. I guess never having seen it from the front, I can only imagine that you sit there and think, "How is this, How are they going to top this? How are they going to top this?" And they do. It's a good old-fashioned song and dance
0: number. And you were to where have you danced before,
8: Gary? Um, I've always been sort of a hoover, never a dancer. But um, my my first real dancing, I think, Peter Gennaro. uh, Uh I did Annie, played the brother Rooster for a long time. And he said, I've got six weeks to make you look like a dancer, kid. And (laughs) we worked very hard for six weeks. uh, So I had a good teacher, Peter Gennaro.
0: Now, in the Tonys, uh, as featured actor in a musical, you're up against Tom Aldridge of Passion. Jared Emick of Damn Yankees, and Jonathan Freeman of She Loves Me. And I think this is one of the stronger categories in all of the Tony Award slots. How are you going to do?
8: I feel, I feel just great being nominated, and that's the truth. It's, it's, it's a terrific honor. Being in the theater for 25 years and receiving an honor like this nomination is just terrific. I'm very happy. So, win or lose, you're ahead. I'm happy. Okay. At this point, let
0: us bring in another equally happy, I hope, performer. She is a Tony nominee for her performance as young Sheila Burling in An Inspector Calls. Please welcome Jane Adams, Not of Whole House. No. <laughs> Jane, welcome to the Broadway Hour. Thank you. As a matter of fact, I was telling you I just saw you in a movie last night on cable.
9: Yes, Light Sleeper. Um, it's a Paul Schrader film. It's uh, sort of—it's very dark and ominous. Not—not—not not, uh, not like an Inspector Calls. So. <laughs> But it's um, with Willem Dafoe. With right? Willem Dafoe, yeah, uh, he's lots of
0: drugs, and you were uh, yeah,
9: he plays a drug dealer, and I'm the sister of his um, uh, drug addict girlfriend, and so it's just, I'm I, I'm upset in it quite a lot. lot.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, in uh, an Inspector Calls, and in your character. And I think it's one of the things that helped get you the t- Tony nomination. Your character makes a complete transformation. Explain that.
9: Yeah, it's a wonderful arc, isn't it? It just, um, Stephen Daldry is, is um, mostly responsible for what a wide arc it is. Because actually, as written, Sheila is much more sensitive in the beginning.
0: Well, let's set up the story. Jane. Oh, okay. Why don't you do that?
9: I, um... Sheila's story is I I begin and I the inspector comes to the house and I have no idea who he is and he explains that a young woman has died from drinking um, uh, strong disinfectant and I have no reaction to it really at all just the same way you would react to the news stories we hear now you know you pick up the post and you just say oh how awful that's terrible But then the inspector by the end of the evening has made me really realize that I was partially responsible for that. I I find out that I had her fired. I I actually had the woman fired from um, her job because she looked at me the wrong way. and our my whole family finds out that we were all in part responsible, which is of course a metaphor for the fact that we're all responsible for everyone in society.
0: This yeah. young woman has committed suicide. She's and yeah. you, realizing your part in her death, change from yeah. a giddy, silly young woman to right. a responsible, wise adult.
9: No, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nice role. Yes, it really is, and I think. The way Stephen directs it makes it even nicer because um, I, I'm so insensitive in the beginning, and that's not really what J.B. Priestley wrote. Mm. In the beginning, it can, it can be played that she's sensitive from the start and then becomes more sensitive. And really what Stephen said is, no, she doesn't get it at all, and then she gets it completely, which is a wonderful fun for me every night. So,
0: Jane, how did you get the part in the play?
9: I um went in an audition for Steven and it's one of the most difficult um auditions that I've ever had. It's I went I, oh. I, I went in and uh he I talked to him for about 5 minutes and he said, "Well, um obviously you get it why don't you come back i'm going to (laughs) assemble the producers and i and i thought he meant later in the week or a few (laughs) weeks later and he said can you come back in an hour you know and so i i went back and um he for an hour and a half i read every scene in the play and by the end of it um he was I, i would i would finish a monologue i was just stumbling through i hadn't coached the dialect i hadn't done anything yet i didn't know the lines and I would finish the monologue and I'd look at him and there'd be silence in the room and the producers were sitting behind him kind of smiling encouragingly, <laughs> sort of like they didn't know what he was doing. And then he would take this long pause and say, well, that was almost it. You know? <laughs> and I said, Stephen, I don't think that it's going to be perfect right now. And he said, well, darling, if it's not perfect right now, you're not going to get the part. Is, no. so.
0: is, is there anything worse in the world today than auditioning for a role?
9: It's it, very it's difficult, it is. It well,
0: is. here you are uh, after that painful yeah. <laughs> thing, a Tony nominee, and in mm. your category, the featured actress in a play, uh, matter of fact, you're the only one nominated who's still working. Uh, the oh, other, is that
9: tr- did picnic is that closed? The
0: others were all in shows that have yeah. closed. Oh, wow. Deborah Monk and Anne Petoniak of Picnic, Pick Picnic, and Jean Paulson of the Kentucky Cycle. Yeah. So uh, you're the only ones that it's still running. <laughs> you're going to win.
9: I don't know. I'm. I am. As the others said, I'm very happy to be nominated. It was Jane, uh,
0: are you nervous about this uh, Tony business?
9: Um, it's a little. Uh, I'm mostly just very happy about it. It's a little um, nerve-wracking knowing that people are coming night after night and, and um, wondering whether they're going to vote for you or not. But uh, it's, it's just mostly just a very happy experience. Well, I'm
0: certain of this <laughs> involving you. As one who has survived I Loved Hamlet with oh, Nicole I... <laughs> Williamson, you can handle anything. <laughs> Thank you. you have any uh, anecdotes about that, oh, Nicole, Nicolas? your favorites?
9: Uh, well... Um, From I Love Hamlet? I'm trying... Let's see. Well, he he, he was, it was very difficult. He used to show up at the stage door at... Um, we're supposed to be there at half hour at 7.30, and right. he would show up, and he would look at his... He would say, Oh, hello, darling. And he'd look at his watch, and if it was 7.30 and he realized he was on time, he would leave and <laughs> go to the bar and then come back. <laughs> and that was a normal thing. And Adam Arkin used to say... Um, as we heard Nickel coming up the stairs to go to work, Adam would say, oh, Daddy's home. You know, it was this ominous (laughs) presence.
0: Adam was on the Broadway Hour a couple of weeks ago. Uh, (laughs) I asked him the same thing. He said his favorite (laughs) was when he was waiting for a line on stage for Nicol, and Nickel just...
9: Left. Left. Yeah, He used to just decide, well, I'm not the focus, so... Good night. (laughs) Leave. And then he'd wander back
0: in. So ladies and gentlemen, Gary Beach of Beauty and the Beast and Jane Adams of an Inspector Call's Tony nominees. Thanks for joining us on the Broadway Hour. Here's the Broadway Hour update brought to you by Tatinger Champagne, the official champagne of the Broadway Hour. The big theater news this week, of course, is the Tonys with the award show Sunday night hosted by Anthony Hopkins and Amy Amy Irving, and I'm certain that everyone will get just what he deserves. Don't forget the free pre-Tonys Stars in the Alley show starting at noon Wednesday in Schubert Alley. There will be numbers from such shows as Passion, Damn Yankees, Carousel, Grease, and She Loves Me and the MCs include Nathan Lane and Diana Rigg. Despite a season that was artistically slim, Broadway keeps packing them in, and attendance this season rose to its highest level in six years. A total of 8.1 million people saw a Broadway show this season, and box office grosses were $356 million. Add touring road shows to the Broadway productions, and the gross receipts for the first time surpassed $1 billion. Kelly McGillis comes to Broadway this week in the title role of Hedda Gabler, starting performances Wednesday at the Roundabout. Howard McGillin, late of She Loves Me, tonight moves into the role of Molina in Kiss of the Spider Woman. Katherine Hepburn is the host at a benefit show tonight at the Helen Hayes Theater, The show, a celebration of Yates, benefits the Irish Repertory Theater, and the performers include Claire Bloom, Milo O'Shea, Peter Gallagher, and Geraldine Fitzgerald. Some off-Broadway notes, the revival of the revised Stephen Sondheim musical, Merrily We Roll Along, opens Thursday at the Theater at St. Peter's Church at 54th and Lex. The new Cole Porter Review, Simply Cole Porter, opens Thursday at the Perry Street Theater. And two great performers are in concert this week at the Westbury Music Fair. On Friday, the great Dane, Victor Borga. And on Sunday, the man who is, in my opinion, the best song and dance man in the world, Gregory Hines. We'll be back with David Ives and our trivia contest after this. We're back and it's trivia time. And the winner of this week's contest will win two tickets to Stomp, the lively off-Broadway musical, and dinner for two at Streeters here at the Sheraton. Here's the question: Neil Simon said he became a playwright to get away from the famous TV star for whom he was writing comedy. A man Simon described as quote a miserable, rotten S.O.B. and I've cleaned that up a bit. That same star, one of America's all-time TV favorites, starred on Broadway in a musical and the stage manager of the show, Gene Wolsk, who later went on to produce such hits as Forever Plaid, said the star was, quote, the single worst person I ever met in my life and there isn't even a close second, end quote. Who was this beloved star? If you want to take a shot at the freebie theater tickets and dinners, send your answer to the Broadway Hour, WPAT 1396 Broad Street, Clifton, New Jersey 07013. Get your mail in early. We'll announce the winner on next week's program. Last week's question was, who was the drama critic who wrote this exquisite review, quote, It was one of those plays in which the actors, unfortunately, enunciated very clearly. David Ives, you know the answer to that. David Rothenberg, no one knows. Well, Thomas Fitzgibbons of Fresh Meadows, New York, knew that the answer is Robert Benchley, one-time drama critic of The New Yorker and one of my heroes, Congratulations, Thomas. You win two tickets to Rainbow and Stars to see Maureen McGovern and Dinner for Two at Bistro 790 here at the Sheraton. And now, ladies and gentlemen, speaking of enunciation, here's a Broadway performer who always came through loud and clear, Ethel Merman, and from Gypsy, Small World.
7: Funny, you're a stranger who's come here Come from another town Funny, I'm a stranger myself here Small world, isn't it? Funny, you're a man who goes traveling Rather than settling down Funny Cause I'd love to go traveling Small world, isn't it? We have so much in common It's a phenomenon Lucky, you're a man who likes children, that's an important sign. Lucky, I'm a woman with children, small words.
0: The distinctly heard Ethel Merman and Small World from Gypsy. This is the Broadway Hour on AM 93 WPAT, brought to you by the Sheraton New York Hotel and Towers and 777 Film and 777
5: Food. She Loves Me. It's the biggest, brightest, happiest musical everyone is talking and cheering about. She loves me. I loved and it. To
1: my it's amazing. big. It's lavish. I had no I idea so many hit songs came from this show.
5: Oh,
0: it was me. just
6: marvelous. I can't tell she you enough. I'm going me. to see it again. We loved it. We loved it. Show. I loved it. you
0: got to see the show. <laughs> How, How could she... she? when she doesn't know
5: it Frank Rich of the New York Times called She Loves Me an evening of sheer enchantment and Clive Barnes of the New York Post said, let me make one thing perfectly clear, there is no more enchanting bewitching or beguiling musical on Broadway than She Loves Me Join in the fun, the romance, the joy of She Loves Me. You won't just hum the tunes, you'll sing out loud, She Loves Me, at the Brooks Atkinson Theater. Call Ticketmaster, 212-307-4100. She
2: loves me.
0: One more piece of business, the golden age of comedy has returned because Neil Simon is back on Broadway with Laughter on the 23rd Floor. Join the theater's funniest writer for a hilarious look behind the scenes at the early days of TV and discover the smash hit that Newsweek magazine calls, quote, one of Neil Simon's funniest plays ever. Laughter on the 23rd floor. The star Ledger calls it an instant comedy classic right up there with the Sunshine Boys and Plaza Suite and says they'd better get doctors in the lobby to take care of all the people laughing so much. The Daily News says laughter on the 23rd floor is howlingly funny. The Philadelphia Inquirer says screamingly funny. And all the TV critics agree on all three networks, Joel Siegel, ABC, Flat Out Hysteria, Gene Shallot, NBC, Uproarious, and Dennis Cunningham, CBS, splendidly howlingly funny. They're all laughing for Neil Simon's Laughter on the 23rd Floor, directed by Jerry Zaks at the Richard Rogers Theater. Call Ticketmaster at 212-307-4100. Listen to this.
7: You'll never know if you don't know
0: That's not a voice. That's the voice, the voice of Maureen McGovern, and she's back at Rainbow and Stars atop Rockefeller Center. Nobody sings like Maureen because nobody can sing like Maureen. This time, it's the songs of World War II. The show is called Sing, 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 and boy, does she ever. She sings the glory songs, the love songs, songs that were sung right up here in the glorious Rainbow Room. Come up to Rainbow and Stars atop Rockefeller Center just slightly above the White Cliffs of Dover for Maureen McGovern and the Songs of World War II. Call 632-5000. We're back on the Broadway Hour, and our next guest is not a Tony nominee because his play is off-Broadway and does not qualify, but All in the Timing is the funniest show I've seen this season on Broadway or off, and here is its author, David Ives.
2: Thanks very much. Thank you,
0: David, welcome to the Broadway Hour. For those members of our audience who have not yet seen All in the Timing, describe it for us.
6: Uh, it's indescribable, or it's supposed to be indescribable. Uh, uh, the cast is entirely nude for the entire show. And uh, uh, it's actually six one act plays, six uh, short comedies. Uh, four of them have been performed in New York before, two of them are premieres. Uh, one of them is in a language which I made up myself called Unamunda. <laughs> and uh, the fellow who speaks it, Robert Stanton, uh, just won an obie for that uh, for that performance. He's uh a, a re- of,
0: remarkable actor.
6: A remark a genius yeah. actor, actually. And uh, one of them is called Philip Glass buys a loaf of bread. It is the entire works of Philip Glass in five minutes and seventeen seconds, <laughs> spoken in rhythm and uh, with a nod to his genius. His genius. Uh, one of them is uh, is called Variations on the Death of Trotsky, and it brings us the uh, great Russian revolutionary sitting at his desk with the mountain climber's axe in, in his, his head. head. Yes, yes. <laughs> trying to write a speech and his wife breaks the news to him that the axe is there. And uh, it is, uh, it it also is a nod to his genius. And uh, one of them is called Words, Words, Words. And it is uh, based on the old idea that three monkeys sitting at three typewriters typing into infinity will sooner or later produce Hamlet. And these are the three monkeys at the typewriters and what they talk about, which is much like probably Neil Simon at Sid Caesar's (laughs) writing table. Except it's Shakespeare instead of Sid Caesar. And so, uh, that's, and there's one more, what did I forget? Oh, yes, sure thing. Two people meeting each other in a cafe and finding eternal bliss in 18 minutes.
0: Now, in that last play, a guy tries to pick up a girl in a cafe. He sits down with her and... Delivers lines, drops lines to her. And every time he delivers a line that is not so good in winning this young woman, a bell rings and he instantly offers another line. Right. Uh,
6: and and it, it sort of works on the, on the principle that it always goes wrong. You always have the wrong line. And uh, for example, she's, she's reading a book and he says to her, uh, What are you reading? And she says, uh, The Sound and the Fury. And he says, Oh, Hemingway. And then ding. the ba- ding, the bell rings, <laughs> and he says, "Ah, Faulkner," and he gets to go back. And uh, so, uh, by kind of backtracking a lot, they find out that they actually have everything in common. Once they've once <laughs> they've gotten past all of their mistakes, and that they do love Woody Allen, they do love Entman's crumb cake, and so they pass on into eternity with no bell to stop them. I guess
0: she also asks him at one point what college he came he went to, and he says.
6: He says, I went, with a great big smile on his face, he says, I went to Oral Roberts University. Ding! Ding. (laughs) (laughs) And then he says, Harvard, of course. And she gets much more interested. And... Yes, yeah, so that's uh, that's your thing, which as far as I know, my agent calls that the uh, the most performed one-act play in America right now, and I think about 20 of those people have paid their royalties. So if you owe me, please send the check directly to the
0: Broadway Hour. As a matter of fact, David, when I saw All in the Timing, I laughed my head off, uh, I was startled a bit because I know... I had seen that first play about the guy and the girl in the cafe somewhere before, but I couldn't remember where I had seen it. Well, uh,
6: it you may have seen it at the Manhattan Punchline, which is where it had its um, original uh, original performances a few years ago. But it is it is uh, it's keeping me in bow ties these days with the royalties. <laughs> so, um.
0: David, the hallmark of your plays is juicy, witty, offbeat language. Where does that stem
6: from? I wish I knew. <laughs> uh, I'll have to ask the guy who writes my jokes for me, um, and, and he charges me quite a bit. I don't know. I, I mean, I grew up on the south side of Chicago, where people barely speak English. As if, as if, even if it's their first language, it's not. They're not very good at it. So, I don't. I don't honestly know. I think it, it's probably a genetic defect. Um, they, they, they've x-rayed me and, and found nothing so far, but. Uh, uh, I can I can honestly account for it if I if I do account for it anytime my writing career is probably at an end so I, well it's I don't know. far
0: from an end right now you as they say in the business are hot uh you just had a play performed in Seattle that was commissioned from you by uh, Bill, Bill Irwin. Irwin
6: yes which was great fun it was uh, a new one act called English Made Simple which is uh yet another 15-minute uh, extravaganza of... Uh, it's, again, two people meeting, but uh, it's it, they kind of pass through every, every possible subtext to their conversation that they possibly can.
0: You have a new full-length play that will be staged in New York next season.
6: Yes, at primary stages, again. It's called Don Juan in Chicago, and it is <laughs> a... Uh, it, it is an extravaganza of, of uh, two hours' length instead of 15 minutes, and... Uh, they tell me it's funny, so I, 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 I believe my producer when he tells me that, because he's a serious man.
0: All on the timing at the John Hausman Theater on 42nd Street is an absolute treat, and I strongly recommend it to anyone who is in the mood for laughter. David, it's been a joy meeting you, Thanks and so the best fun. of luck in the future. Ladies and gentlemen, you've been listening to the Broadway Hour. Thanks to our guests, David Ives, Marin Mazie, Donna McKechnie, Jane Adams, Gary Beach, Terry Burrell. How do we get them all on today? Tune in next week when our guest will include the great Carol Channing. I'd like to thank our sponsors, Sheraton New York Hotel and Towers, 777 Film and 777 Food, and Champagne Tatinger. Thanks to producer Kate McGrath, uh, our temporary producer sitting in today who did a splendid job, Bill Lally and engineer Chris Breedfell. This is Stuart Klein and for the Broadway Hour, good night and break away.